Hey, it's Benta. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from CPR News. It's called Ghost Train. Ghost Train is about how Denver voters in 2004 backed one of the most ambitious transit projects in the country, a network of rail lines that would help transform Denver into a world-class city. Nathaniel Miner, CPR's transportation reporter, takes a close look at where that plan succeeded, where it got off track, and where public transit in the Denver area might be headed next. Follow Ghost Train from Colorado Public Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. We're not calling Colorado's state legislature the minor league. I would never say that. (laughs) But that doesn't mean some lawmakers aren't setting their sights on a much bigger stage. In fact, more people in the Colorado legislature are running for Congress right now than at any time in recent memory. I'm Donald Valdez, fifth-generation Coloradan, farmer, rancher, and Democratic state representative. Grand Junction, Colorado, to announce that I am officially entering the race for Congress for the 3rd Congressional District. And now I want to share the news with you that I'm running for Colorado's new 8th Congressional District. Some are vying for the state's two open congressional seats. And I would be so proud to be the first Latina in Congress from Colorado. Some want to unseat a member of their own party. Because we have people who would rather have rhetoric over results. And some hope to pull off an upset. Now I'm running for United States Senate because Michael Bennett and our government no longer serve the people. And the stakes are high because this fall, voters are going to decide the balance of power in Washington, D.C., with a big potential for change and a lot of focus on Colorado. For all this national focus, though, each of these state lawmakers has deeply personal reasons for why they want to be in Congress. I feel that at the national level, the 10 percent on the left, the 10 percent on the the far right seem to be getting all the notoriety and uh, sucking up all the auction in the room and all the sound bites and the 80 percent in the middle seem to be ignored. This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics and policy. I'm Andrew Kenny. And I'm Benta Berkland. So right now, 7% of Colorado's state lawmakers are running for Congress. That may not sound like the largest percentage you've ever heard, but it has big implications for what happens at the state capitol this year. And it's also going to show us something about politics in 2022. So in this episode, we're taking you behind the scenes to look at the show behind the show as all these state politicians try to make it to the big show. Lots of shows happening here. Shows on shows. There may be a few people wondering who would even want to serve in Congress at this moment in time. And so Mm -hmm. we will take a look at how some of these lawmakers are making the decision to run or not to run. And I thought we could begin with two women. They are from opposite political parties, from opposite chambers at the state capitol. Mm -hmm. And they both hope to be the first congressperson in Colorado's newest congressional seat. That's CD8. My name is Yadira Caraveo, and I'm currently the House Representative for House District 31. Barbara Kirkmeyer, State Senator, District 23. All right, so why are these the two candidates, Benta, that you wanted to focus on? 
Well, I, I, I picked them first off because they're vying for this 8th Congressional District, and this race will be Colorado's most competitive seat in 2022. Yeah. The redistricting commission drew it to be a toss-up district. We gained this seat because of our population growth. And the district includes suburbs north of Denver and Adams County and most of Weld County, including Greeley. Yeah, that district's going to be a real slice of Colorado. Senator Kirkmeyer is from Weld County on the north end of the district, and Representative Caraveo is from Adams County in, again, the southern end of the district. And I think in a lot of ways, Kirkmeyer and Caraveo each kind of embody some key aspects that we'll be seeing in this congressional race and in the seat as a whole. Uh, Caraveo is a Latina. Her parents immigrated to the U.S. from Mexico. She grew up in Adams County. She's a pediatrician. And, and keep in mind, this legislative seat will be the most heavily Latino in the state. When the congressional 8th district opened up, it really was centered around Adams County, which was where I grew up and where I've been serving patients for the last nine years. Um, and really, the entire district has kind of ties to my family. So it seemed like a good way of continuing the work that I've been doing for um, the families that I see in clinic every day. We should mention that these are just two of a whole gaggle of candidates that'll be running for this CD8 district, but we are interested in them in particular because they are already state legislators. They have some degree of prominence. But actually, both of these women are pretty new to the state legislature, right? Yeah, that is right. Caraveo is in her second term, so she's had three sessions. And for Kirkmeyer, this is her second legislative session. What's interesting, though, is Kirkmeyer is not up for re-election this fall as a state senator. So if she loses the primary or if she wins the primary and loses the general election, she can still go back to her job being a state senator. For Caraveo, House members are up for re-election every two years. Mm. So she won't be running for re-election in the fall and someone else will hold her seat at the state capitol. So some, some real consequences for potentially running in some of these cases. Yes, that's right. Um, what about like their daily lives inside the building. Like, you know, we, we wanted to talk this episode about how this 2022 election year casts a shadow in some ways over the legislature. What does it mean personally for these lawmakers? Is it like dramatic? I don't think they pass each other in the hall and, and give each other like a steely cold glare or no anything mean like that. <laughs> or anything like that. I, I wouldn't expect that. No. I mean, there's drama in in politics in general. Uh, But between these candidates, we haven't seen that at the personal level, and I don't expect that at all. First off, it's a big building, Mm -hmm. and House members and Senate members don't interact. I mean, they can intentionally interact, but, you know, you're on the House floor, and then you go to committees, and same thing with the Senate. So they don't really cross paths. I think I've maybe only seen or met Representative Carveo a couple of times. They do have some history, though. The first time they met uh, it was a few years ago, and Kirkmeyer was still a Weld County commissioner, and she came to the Capitol to testify against Caraveo's bill um, updating oil and gas regulations. And that was a very, very lengthy hearing. So I didn't actually appreciate her comments. Um, I didn't find them to be factual, and so that bothers me. But um, other than that, I don't know that I've actually even ever run, run into her down here at the Capitol. Kind of a funny place to encounter somebody else because, well, I guess these lawmakers do spend a lot of time in hearings, hearing testimony. Um, what about from like a practical standpoint? What does it mean to, to, you know, to be running for one office while you're doing the work of the other? Running for Congress is so expensive and, and a big part of the job, whether people like it or not, is fundraising. And it's the candidate making those phone calls. I talked to people who, who'd run before and it could be 
really every chance you get starting now and only ramping up. And Kirkmeyer said it's not her favorite part of the job, but at the same time, she doesn't mind doing it. I might be in my car. I might be in, uh, you know, my home. I might be at someone else's home. Um, I might be in an office building, you know, but you can do it everywhere, especially now since our, we carry our phones around with us in our hands. And when I talked to Representative Caraveo about fundraising, she said, look, everybody's eyes are on this race. And so um, the 8th congressional seat is going to be particularly competitive and one that the nation is really going to focus on because it is um, a toss-up um, and it is brand new. And so each side is going to hope that they can you know, make it blue or red for the next decade or so. And so we really uh, can't anticipate a lot of focus on Colorado with this race. With such high stakes, but while also, again, having to do their work in the state house. How are these candidates kind of managing their day-to-day lives? Are they changing what they're putting in their bills? Are they going to be more cautious or like maybe more ambitious? What does it actually mean to have these federal elections looming over your statehouse work? When I talked to Caraveo, she said she thinks it adds a different nuance to all of her votes Hmm. because there's a whole different aspect to how she's voting and a focus on it compared to years past. Uh, And she anticipates that she will have to scale her statehouse work a bit back. Hmm. Um, For instance, she's already dropped one of the committees she served on, the Health and Insurance Committee. It's a balancing act. And so I am cutting back a little bit on uh, committee work and not running as many big bills um, as I usually do um, in order to balance both. And in fact, Caraveo has been the main sponsor of some bills that took a lot of negotiation and were controversial at the oil and gas measure, Senate Hmm. Bill 181 that I mentioned, where Kirkmeyer and Caraveo first interacted with each other, and then last session, a bill to restrict youth access to highly potent marijuana. Well, you, you can see how those big bills could be an asset or maybe a little bit of a liability for a candidate, but what does it look like on the Republican side where they actually aren't involved usually in the big negotiations around a lot of these legislation? Yeah, it is a little different because that party is in the minority, Although uh, last legislative session, Kirkmeyer did get the majority of her her five bills passed through the Democratic-controlled legislature. But Kirkmeyer said she thinks that could be harder this session Mm. because there's a risk that Democrats may not want to give her any political wins. Not saying that that will happen, but Kirkmeyer thinks it's a possibility. It's not like anybody's jumping to be on a Kirkmeyer bill kind of thing. But I do have some Democrats that I've been able to forge relationships with and work on some bills with. But again... I'm still in the minority, so I don't think anything really changes that much. The funny thing about running as a legislator for another position is that you have a big record. You have a big history. All these votes you've taken and public stances essentially on these different big issues. Um, So just recently we saw a campaign email. It was actually not from Kirkmeyer, but it was attacking Caraveo for voting yes on a bill to reduce drug possession sentences more than a year ago. So are they vulnerable to stuff like that as sitting lawmakers? Um, Or could they even be like forced into votes this year that the other side wants to use as ammunition for the campaign? I mean, absolutely. It's it's the political season. I I think the state legislature is the perfect place for that because it's one of the last chances to craft a damaging vote record for the other candidate Uh or just even to get a headline. And although Democrats are in the majority, the minority party can do this very easily with amendments that they offer. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, this Democrat voted against this great idea. And, you know, and Democrats will do that, too. So we see that all the time in politics. It just it ramps up even more in a session like this. And don't forget trackers. I don't know how much you've, you've covered that, Andy. 
You mean, you mean like the little bugs on my phone that, <laughs> that deliver me personalized Instagram ads? Hmm, I, I wasn't thinking about that, but um, not quite, Andy. I mean, the guys with the cameras just standing in the corner and you wonder what news organization they're with and turns out they're not with a news organization. Um, so, so these are the people hired by political operatives to essentially film every public engagement mm. and walk around and just see if the, the candidate messes up or does something they shouldn't do on Got camera. Him. Right. Um, and so I, I talked to Sal Pace. Uh, he's from Pueblo. He ran for Colorado's third congressional district. He didn't end up winning the election, but he was at the state house when he was running for Congress. And so Sal said he had this tracker who was basically filming everything he did. I was followed around by a guy at the Capitol everywhere I went with a video camera recording me everywhere, including going to the restroom. I mean, he didn't come in the restroom with me, but he never wanted to leave my side. He said it really started to be unnerving to have that type of nonstop attention. I had to make sure that if I had to blow my nose, I'd have to go and hide and do it. You know, I didn't want that on camera. But it, it really changes one's experience in the state capitol when you move from just being a legislator to being a congressional candidate on top of it. And he said that that was just such a huge change because people don't know who they are. And yeah. so it changes your experience at the state capitol from one of 100 to suddenly there's a lot more attention on you. Wow, I would just hate to have that. I don't know what they would find me doing, just staring. <laughs> Look at him stare at the wall for six and a half minutes. You know, some people may want that in their congressperson. So <laughs> who knows? But uh, um, Are there trackers yet in this race? I, I didn't get a chance to ask Kirkmeyer, um, but I did ask Caraveo, and she said she hasn't seen any trackers yet. Mm. She won't be surprised when she does. I would say political trackers are not allowed on the chamber floor, yeah. but they could be in the gallery. And then, of course, the rest of the state capitol, hearing rooms, hallways, all of that, it's open to the public. Stressful. No, thank you. All right, so we've talked about two of these strivers looking to upgrade well, no offense, looking to change from the state legislature to Congress. There are five more. Yeah, that's right. So in Colorado's third congressional district, currently held by Lauren Boebert, Republican, probably our most well-known member of Congress, we have Democratic Representative Donald Valdez from the San Luis Valley. He's mm -hmm. hoping to challenge Boebert. And also on the Republican side, State <laughs> Senator Don Coram from Montrose. He is in a primary race against Boebert. Wow. So both Democrats and Republicans lining up to challenge Lauren Boebert seems kind of unusual, at least the Republican challenge, right? I would say it is somewhat unusual, but also Quorum is not the only Republican state lawmaker mm. challenging an incumbent member of Congress. We also have Republican Representative Dave Williams from Colorado Springs, and he's in a primary race with Congressman Doug Lamborn for the 5th Congressional District. And then we cannot leave out the 7th Congressional District. That's <laughs> Jefferson County and some of the mountain communities there. Uh -huh. That is an open seat which makes it much more of a, a swing district than it would have been. That's the one that Ed Perlmutter is retiring from. Yeah. He's a Democratic congressman. He'd been in Congress for a while. Mm -hmm. So when he decided not to seek re-election, uh, quickly, Democratic State Senator Brittany Pedersen uh, stepped in. Uh, she's from Lakewood, and it looks like she will be the Democratic nominee in that seat. Well, so a little more unity on the Democratic side so far in terms of uh, figuring out who's running for what. Um we should also not forget, back on the Republican side, Representative Ron Hanks. That's right. And he is running for U.S. Senate. So there's a pretty robust 
Republican primary in that race. But I mean, mean, there's a lot of Republicans. (laughs) Andy, wouldn't you say he's kind of um, the leader of the right flank of that primary? Yeah, the right flank. There's there's a solid race going on there for the kind of moderate-ish mainstream Republican flank. And Ron Hanks is the most far right, which could be an asset for him in that race. So anyway, on on the state house question, like we said, 7%, or if we're being more specific, 7 out of 100 lawmakers running for Congress. Is this just kind of like what they do? You stay in the state legislature long enough and you start getting ideas about Congress? Uh, it's not a surprise. I mean, in some ways, it, it, in some ways, I would say it's a lot of the skills transfer, obviously, because you're dealing with constituents and giving speeches and proposing policy. So right. it makes sense. Um, so it's not uncommon. I mean, if you think of our former U.S. Senator Cory Gardner started in the state legislature. Mm. Um, Lauren Boebert's predecessor, Scott Tipton, who was was ousted by Boebert in a primary, he started in the state legislature. And uh, Diana DeGette... Ed Perlmutter, Doug Lamborn. Okay, so pretty good track record for these state guys running for Congress. But that still leaves the big question for this episode, which is why are so many going this year in particular? You know, like we know that they've done it in the past, but it does seem like you've been saying this is a particularly high number of congressional candidates running around the state house. I think what this really speaks to is that this is an incredibly fluid political year. So this is, you know, once every 10 or 20 years uh, level of fluidity in the congressional field. So we we had redistricting, which changes all the political lines in Colorado. Uh-huh. It was done by an independent commission, and one of their priorities was to create more competitive seats. And so uh-huh. we're seeing that at the congressional level. And then it's also given Republicans in the state and nationally hopes of making some significant gains. And Just this year in general, Republicans have Big hopes. Yes, the party in power mm-hmm. in the midterm election usually loses seats. On yeah. top of that, if you look at President Biden's approval ratings, they're very low right now. Yeah, and yeah. so for uh, we've talked about not everyone knows who their state lawmaker is. Not everyone knows who's running for Congress. And so those offices and those races are closely tied oftentimes to what's happening at the presidential level. And Republicans here in Colorado see an opportunity to make gains that, you know, in a way that they haven't seen in years. That doesn't mean it'll it'll all come true yeah. for them, but certainly it's shaping up to be a much more competitive midterm election. Yeah. A couple open seats, competitive seats, and a resurgent seeming Republican Party. And, and yeah, you're seeing that in Congressional District 7. Uh, Congressman Perlmutter is not seeking re-election. And I think everyone would agree part of it is probably due to redistricting his seats more competitive most people thought he would have a good chance of winning but still it's more competitive and if republicans make the gains they hope and expect to make Mm -hmm. he'd be in the minority party and then because of redistricting we have this new seat the eighth that we focused on so that truly is a toss-up district and it's not every election you have a seat that's truly up in the air so with all that opportunity I think we're seeing that affect how Republicans also are, are, are approaching this coming election year. You know, again, continuing with the state lawmakers running for Congress theme, we're seeing two different Republican state lawmakers challenge their own incumbent Congress members. Yeah, and I think especially in Colorado, we're seeing kind of soul searching or just a real discussion about from the Republican Party about what the future of the party should should be in Colorado mm-hmm. and how they make gains. They don't 
hold any statewide offices, you know, all, all the major offices, the state legislature. So they're really looking to make some gains. And I think these two primary races kind of exemplify that because you have Representative Williams running to the right of Lamborn. Um, I, I don't think people would typically say Congressman Lamborn is not conservative. So uh-huh. this is someone who's saying, look, you're not conservative enough. Yeah. And then in the, the Boebert district, she's has a huge national following. She's controversial. She's in the headlines frequently. Yep. We have state Senator Don Corum. He is running from the middle. Um, yeah. He was the clip we played at the top of this episode where he's saying, look, the people in the middle are just left out and ignored. He doesn't like the toxic nature of Washington, D.C. And then that's why he's running. You know what's interesting is like primary challengers are not unusual, but it is it is a, quite a sight to see them coming from inside the state legislature. These are folks that are more established, that have already won elections and have some degree of, of state standing going up against their own party members. That's exactly right. I mean, Lamborn in particular has had plenty of primary challengers, but it is a little bit different when it's a sitting state lawmaker. Fascinating. We talked about what it means in the building to have all these elections overshadowing things, what it says about state politics right now. But I'm just curious, Benta, you driven the train on reporting this, and, and this has obviously been of interest to you. What are you taking away from all this? What did you learn about these politicians and, and why they're politicking like this? <laughs> politicians politicking. Well, <laughs> one thing I, I kept coming back to was tape from State Senator Carrie Donovan. She's a Democrat. She's from the Vale area. She was running in the 3rd Congressional District to try to unseat Boebert, yeah. but was kind of a victim, if you will, of redistricting because Donovan was drawn out of the district right. you know, where she lives. And she had this defense of why it's a good thing for state lawmakers to run for Congress. Hmm. You know, I, I think it can be easy to criticize people who run for a higher office while maintaining their current office. A lot of people were running for Congress with the biography of, I'm not a politician. (laughs) And so, you know, Donovan had this defense of, no, here's why it is good to be a politician, still running for office. Mm. I know one of the values and one of the things that I'm most proud of in American democracy is that citizens are elected to serve, right? We're supposed to be a citizen-led government. And so I know at times it can feel that people that are trying to make a profession out of being an elected office, you know, don't have that real world experience or strain away from our idea of like a citizen led government. But I also don't think that someone that strives for office should be criticized just for that fact alone. Uh, you can, the experience that someone gains by being in the state house or the state senate will make them a better congressperson. And she thinks that you do learn all these skills. And if you're passionate about something, it makes sense that a lawmaker would want to take what they're concerned about to the highest level of elected office possible to maybe have more impact and shape policy in a bigger way. Well, folks, it's a great reminder to keep tabs on your state lawmaker because you never know when they'll end up in Congress. All right, that's it for this week's episode. We will be back in your feeds in two weeks. 
Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny. I'm Benta Berkland. And if you want to touch base with us, we've got a new way to do that. Drop us an email, purplish at CPR.org. That's right. Seven seasons in, we figured out email. This is Purplish from CPR News.